Um, hi guys, welcome to the Summer Inn. I'm glad to see you here tonight. The second to last Summer Inn, as Annika said. Uh, my name is Becky, and I'm on staff here at the Inn. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you. So come introduce yourself afterwards. Some things you should know about me. I graduated from the University of Washington in 2001, and I majored in psychology. Uh, I'll spare you the math. I'm old. And um, I'm old enough to remember, if you need to know how old I am, you don't have to do the calculations, just know that I'm old enough to remember rotary phones. Like, in my house, when I wanted to call someone when I was a kid, you had to go, first of all, stand by the phone, because I had this thing called a phone cord, and you would pick it up and dial like this. Well, actually like this. And because our last three digits of our phone number were 099, everybody hated us. Because it took forever to go back to zero and nine and nine. I remember a time, too, when if you didn't know the lyrics to a song and you're talking to your friends and you're like, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He's saying this. You just had to disagree because you aren't going to go Google it because that didn't exist. And um, I mean, if the library was open, you could go check and see if the library had the CD with the notes or something. I'm not kidding. So I'm old, like I said. And... Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with some of the modern-day conveniences, and I actually have a clip to show you. I think I'm out of the way here. Um, of a comedian. His name is Louis C.K. And some of you might have seen this before. I'll actually move this down. Um, he's going to talk to us a little bit about um, those modern conveniences that we have today. The president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now... In the 21st century, we take technology for granted. Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots that don't care. Because this is what people are like now. They got their phone. And they're like, ugh, it won't. Give it a second. Give it, it's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light true? I was, on a, I was on an airplane, and there was internet, high-speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane, and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet. And it's fast, and I'm watching YouTube clips. It's, I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down, and they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bull****. <laughs> like, how quickly the world owes him something. Yes. He knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. Right. And on planes... <laughs> flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. <laughs> First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? That you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, oh my god! Wow! Yes! You're flying. You're, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, Louis, but, but it doesn't it doesn't go back a lot. <laughs> and it's, and it's not really. Little. You know, here's the thing. People like they say there's delays on flights. Yeah. Delays really. New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years <laughs> to do that. And a bunch of you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. Seriously, guys. I mean, that's kind of a long, a long clip that we showed you, but there's more. You should really check it out. Um, in fact, that's one of my favorite YouTube clips. And it's called, because he says early in the clip, which we didn't show you, it's called Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy. And I think it speaks to the entitlement in our culture for sure, but it also speaks to the fact that, well, we're not really happy in our society, even though we have so much. And the reality is that we don't actually know what would make us happy. We think we do, but um, I have a little exercise for us to do to kind of illustrate this. Let's say I'm a genie. That makes sense, right? Um, so I'm a genie, and I can grant you one wish, but you only get your choice of two wishes. Okay, ready? So the wish I can grant you can either be A, tomorrow you are a millionaire. You've won the lottery, say it's like $100 million. Okay, got that? It's a pretty good wish. Or B, tomorrow I could make you a quadriplegic. Which one would you pick? You guys need some time to pray about it, think about it. I mean, I think we'd all pick, unless you're, like, trying to second-guess me, like, oh, she must be trying to trick me, so I'm going to pick B. We'd all pick. We'd all pick winning the lottery. I would pick winning the lottery. And to be clear, there is definite suffering that comes along with becoming a quadriplegic. But the reality is that studies have been done that show a year after winning the lottery or a year after becoming a quadriplegic, people report the same level of happiness. So it's not their circumstances that are determining their happiness. But, of course, we would all think, well, if I win the lottery, I would be a much happier person than if I became a quadriplegic. And like I said, there's suffering involved with being a quadriplegic that is not involved with winning the lottery. But the reality is that it's not about our circumstances, and we don't really know what will lead to happiness. And yet, happiness is, for many of us, the main goal of our lives. If I asked you, what is your main purpose, your main um, goal in life, if you, ca- if you could say, I have this one objective in my life, and this is what I want out of life, I think many of us would say, I just, I just want to be happy. I mean, it's not, I don't want a lot. I don't need to be a millionaire. I just, I just want to be happy. It's a common big picture hope in our society, and our society tells us that success, or that happiness is the ultimate success that we can have. I mean, it's in our Declaration of Independence and those old Cadillac commercials, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. We all know that line. If you go to the bookstore and you go to the self-help section, there are so many books, you guys, about how to be happy. And so if, that, if it's that easy, we should just go read them, and then we'll be happy, and then we'll, we will have achieved our life goal. Oprah's made an entire empire out of this. The other day I was surfing the net, and I wasn't even working on this talk, and at the top of the Yahoo page it said, Seven new ways to be happy from Oprah. And I'm like, Oprah is inventing new ways to be happy? I've got to click on this because I want to be happy. Happiness is what life is all about. That's what our culture tells us over and over again. We're fed that message. It's what basically every commercial we see tells us. Watch this show, eat this food, drive this car, ask your doctor about this drug, and your problems will be fixed 
and you'll be happy. Happiness is what life is all about. That's what we're told. And happiness is a good thing, and God wants us to be happy, but reality is the happiness, the way our culture frames it, is fleeting, and it's, it's really unattainable. Now, think about that for a second. Why would we base our whole lives and make our whole purpose in life, I just, I just want to be happy, something that is fleeting and something that's ultimately not fulfilling? Tonight, we're going to continue our series on the lies we believe and look at that lie that so many of us believe that happiness is what life is all about. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, um, we come from many different places. Um, Some of us enter this room happy, and Lord, we thank you uh, for that. And Lord, some of us um, don't remember the last time we were happy, and Lord, we pray um, that you would be with us as well. We pray that um, no matter where we're coming from, you would have a word for us tonight. pray this in your name. Amen. So if you've been tracking with us throughout this mini-series, we've been going through the lies that we believe, some of the lies that we believe, because there's a lot of lies that we believe, people. Um, Started three weeks ago, Liz talked about the lie that we don't really need to read scripture or pray to God um, in order to be close to God. And then two weeks ago, Annika shared, and she shared about us not being enough for God, the lie that we're not enough for God, when the reality is God tells us we are enough. And then Chris, last week, if you were here, you remember, he shared a bit about how it's not about what we do, but who we are. That's the true statement, not the lie. The lie is that it's about what we do and not who we are. See, it's all confusing. So the lie tonight is what matters. And the lie tonight is that happiness is what life is all about. I think I just totally butchered that. But you guys get the point. You should go back and listen to all those talks. They're on the app. They're online. Um, If you haven't had a chance to hear them, check them out. Um, Now, of course, we're at church, and a lot of you grew up in church. And many of you, probably most of you, are following Christ with your lives. And you're thinking... I'm just going to check out because I'm a step ahead of Becky. I know life isn't all about happiness. Duh. Life is all about Jesus. Right. Yes. Good answer. Sunday school taught you well. Life is all about Jesus. But if we take that a step further and we look at what we really mean when we say that, it often really means life is all about Jesus and how Jesus can make me happy. We think, Life's all about serving God, Becky. I know it's not about happiness. But if we're honest with ourselves, we think, life's all about serving God. And that's going to make me happy. I'm going to give my life to serve God. And I should be happy because I'm serving God. Happiness becomes the motivation, even in service. And that's a lot of what Chris talked about last week, too. So you should definitely um, check that out if you want to hear more about that. But it seems like we've actually made happiness a formula. So all we have to do is get rid of the bad stuff in our lives, eliminate stuff like illness, depression, bad relationships, sin, inconveniences, and fill our lives with the good stuff. Good career, relationships, enough technology to entertain us, enough travel to give us some good life experiences. And we'll just live by that formula, and we'll be happy. That's what we think. So I've I've got an illustration of the formula here for you, just in case. So you take one life. It's like a recipe. One life. 
And you take away, you gotta get rid of illness, and you gotta get rid of inconveniences and bad relationships. Get rid of the laziness, of course, and depression and sin. That stuff's bad. And then, as you try to add in as many good relationships as possible, the word good should be there. You wanna add health, of course, you need to work out and stuff to be happy. Travel, I mean, you can't really be happy without traveling. I need a good career, because I need to provide for my family, of course, I need to at least make enough money to send my kids to college. And, you know, I need a little technology, so I have some conveniences. And of course, I need to have quiet times. So I need to spend time with God. Um, and that is going to be what makes me happy, we think. Now, you might have other things that you would add to this formula that you think need, you need to get out of your life or that you need to add to your life to make you happy. But the principle is the same. There's a formula out there. Eliminate enough bad stuff, add enough good stuff, and you'll be happy. And we're all clinging desperately to the hope that that happiness that we find is going to fulfill us because that's what life is all about. And I want to be fulfilled. But over and over again, we find that we're really just let down by our lives. Relationships disappoint us. We don't get the job we wanted. We didn't get into the major we wanted. We get sick. The people we love get sick. Or maybe we actually do do a great job of living into this formula and we get lucky and people we love don't get sick and we're, we're, everything seems to be going well and I've gotten into my major and I'm going to get that job I want. I got that scholarship I needed. And yet, if we're honest, we don't really have a lasting happiness. We've even done our quiet times. We've gone to church and yet we find we're still not not quite happy. That happiness is elusive. What? What's going on? The human staff is reading through the, actually the whole Bible, but right now we're in the Old Testament, and last week we were uh, reading Judges. And in Judges chapter 6, there's a story about Gideon, wherein an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, God is with you, O mighty warrior. And Gideon responds, uh, with me? I mean, the uh is not in there, but it says, with me? If God is with us, Why has all of this happened to us? See, Gideon and his people are going through trials, and basically he says, why should I believe that you'll be with me when it doesn't look like you've been with me? Excuse me, angel of the Lord, but we've lived by this formula that we think should work for us, and the result doesn't look like we expected it to. It's easy for us to think we know what God's blessing should look like, and when it doesn't look like we expected we're at a loss. Think back to that video, the C.S. Lewis? No, Louis C.K. <laughs> Close, <laughs> kind of the same. Louis C.K. video. The formula would say that having a computer that fits in your pocket should make us happier. But instead we go, this stupid phone. The formula would say that because we can fly, we should be happier than they were in the days of the covered wagon. I mean, we can sit in chairs in the sky. But I'm willing to bet good money that if you went back in time and asked the people in the covered wagons, would you be happier if you um, could fly through the sky like a bird partaking in the miracle of flight? They would first, well, they might try to kill you because they'd think you're crazy. But if you could get them to actually honestly answer that question, Put yourself in their shoes. Well, yeah, five hours to cross the country instead of 30 years or whatever it really was. I don't, was it really 30 years? I don't know. Uh, 
I think they would, they would predict that it would make them happy. But we'll never know. But I think if you did a self-report of happiness for people back in the days of the covered wagon and people today, it's either about the same or they might have been happier. <laughs> and that's just a prediction. Who knows? Because reality is that we just find something else to complain about. I mean, the weather is a perfect example. It's going to be either too hot or too cold or too dry or too wet. There's something that's just not quite right, right? The formula fails us. Now, like I said, God wants us to be happy, but the kind of happiness he wants for us, he desires for us, goes well beyond circumstantial happiness that we can get with any formula. God offers us happiness that is sustainable and is available to anyone, regardless of the situation they find themselves in. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, This is Jesus' famous sermon that he um, gave on the Mount of Beatitudes, which you'll see a picture of later. Um, And and in uh, this passage, Jesus is explaining who can be blessed, who can experience happiness. And it says... Okay, this, I'm going I'm to try to just do it by memory, and I'm going to do my hand motions. So if you want to ever learn the Beatitudes, just ask me, and I'll teach you my hand motions. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, children of God. This is the part where I'm just going to read it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is taking the idea of who can be blessed and flipping it on its head. He's taking the idea of who can experience his happiness and turning it around. Because the people listening to this sermon are thinking, well, I I know who's blessed. It's easy to tell who's blessed. You can tell because... They have enough money to get by, and they're healthy, so they're blessed. I think that we think the same thing. I can know who's blessed because they're secure financially, and they're healthy, and things are going pretty well for them. But God's saying no. God's kingdom is open to everyone, to those who are mourning, to those who are meek, those who are trampled, those who seem like the lowest of the low. I'm offering them my blessing. And if you read chapter 4, and we hear, we hear about who, who's in this crowd that's hearing this sermon, right before this passage, the crowd is made up of those who are afflicted with various diseases and pains, the demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. Basically, it's made up of people whose situation is not ideal, people whose formula did not work out for them, people like me and you, people who are let down, by their lives. And they're hearing this and saying, wait, blessed are, what? (laughs) Jesus says, you are blessed. And some translations translate this as happy, 
but it's very clearly not the kind of unfulfilling, fleeting happiness that our world promises us in Cadillac commercials, because clearly those who mourn are not happy in that way, in the way that Cadillac commercials want us to aspire to. This is a happiness that's much better described as a deep joy or contentment. Now, this is not a prescription for happiness, but a description of who can be happy. So it's not saying, if you are as meek as possible and mourn, well, then you'll be happy. So you should aspire. I'm going I'm to aspire to mourn as much as possible so that I can be happy. That doesn't really make sense. It's not if this, then this. It's not if A, then B. Because it's not a formula at all. Jesus is blowing the walls off of their idea of who can be blessed, who can experience God's happiness that's a deep inner joy and contentment. Who can experience that joy? Well, anyone. Anyone can. Anyone who leans into Jesus, regardless of their circumstances, a quadriplegic can, and a lottery millionaire can. The problem with the formula that we saw before is that it will lead to us repeating over and over again, well, if only, or as soon as. Well, if only, if only I had an iPhone, things would be easier. Or if only I had a better job that paid me enough, Things will be better. Or as soon as I graduate from college, or as soon as I find the right guy, I'll be happy. See, I'm still working on the top half of that formula. There's still some sin I need to get out of my life. There's still some things I need to add in. I probably need to do a better job with my quiet times. And then I'll be happy. But the Beatitudes tell us that it's not about if only or as soon as. It's about experiencing the blessing of God now, whatever our circumstances are. It's about choosing joy now. And honestly, this is not easy. Um, This is something I know I've had to cultivate and work on in my life. And this is what allows me to choose joy and to have happiness, even though my life has certainly not worked out the way my formula would have read when I was in college. Because clear, well, not clearly, because some people don't want to be, but when I was in college, I expected and hoped that I would be married by the time I was 27. And as we've already covered, I'm old, and I am single, but I can experience joy, happiness, apart from my circumstances. Because I know that if only or as soon as I get married is bogus. It's just not true. I will not be happier necessarily as soon as I get married, if I get married. Will, would, is it possible that I'll be happier? Yes, of course. Is it possible that I won't? Yeah. It is. Because I know married people who are happy and married people who are unhappy and single people who are happy and single people who are unhappy. But it's about more than our circumstances. Like I said, this is something I've definitely had to work on and it's not something that I even have accomplished. I'm still working on it. The ability to choose joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But... The joy we choose, what psychologists call synthetic happiness, is every bit as real as the happiness that we fleetingly stumble upon when something goes well for us in our lives. The difference is actually that the joy we choose is rooted in something eternal, something lasting. It's rooted in someone eternal, actually. It's rooted in God. 
Now, the Apostle Paul was much better than I at choosing joy. In his uh, most joyful letter to the Philippians, he wrote it from prison. And it's in Philippians that he exhorts his readers to rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice, he said, from prison. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances from prison. Now, I'm sure the happiness, the joy that he's talking about is not how we would define happy because our happy has to do with the formula and there's nothing in the formula that says plus prison. I mean, if anything, we probably would say minus prison. One thing I need to do to be happy is stay out of prison, right? I would, I, that would be in my formula, honestly. But because Paul knows who God is and is not concentrating on his circumstances, Paul says he is able to choose rejoicing. He says, I have learned the secret to being content in all circumstances. And I love that he says learned because it means it wasn't like, well, I became a Christian and therefore I'm content in all circumstances. It takes time and it's something we have to learn. Uh, But Paul has learned it. Even though the top half of his equation was just totally jacked up, he still had the happiness on the bottom half of the equation. And if you need an opposite example, look no further than Solomon in the Old Testament who had all the money he wanted, all the power he wanted, all the wives that he wanted, all the wisdom that he wanted. And yet, some people believe that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the most depressing book in the entire Bible. Solomon had his top half of the equation perfectly lined up. But he did not have that happiness at the bottom. And that's because happiness does not follow a formula. The reality is that there is this deep longing in our souls to connect with the eternal. And happiness is a glimpse of that. It's valuable and it's positive. But the happiness that the world wants us to pursue, the world wants us to make the goal of our lives. I just, I just, I just want to be happy. It's not that big a deal. I just, I just want to be happy. That's not going to satisfy us. It's not going to fulfill us. We're just going to continue to be let down. But if we can cultivate the ability to find contentment, no matter what our circumstances, we will be strong pillars who know true, lasting joy apart from circumstances, even in tough times. And the face that this is for me on earth is Jan Myers. Some of you might know who Jan Myers is. If you come to the inn during the school year, she gave her testimony at the inn, and uh, she... Um, was my core group leader in college. And she was married to Dick Myers for, I believe, 46 years. And one thing that she shared at the end was that he was struggling with cancer. She shared a lot of the struggles she's had in her life. And she shared that he was struggling with cancer. And actually, just this past month in July, he passed away. And I, of course, attended Dick's memorial service here at UPC, and I saw Jan in the narthex, and I went up to her and I gave her a hug, and I said, how are you, how are you doing? And she said, it's, it's really weird, Beck, but I have just been covered in joy. Now, Jan cried a lot during Dick's illness about his death. It's not like she had joy 
in his death, but even in his death, she was experiencing God's peace and joy. And I could look in her eyes and know she wasn't trying to put on a brave face for everybody at the service. And if you know Jan, you know that she wouldn't bother to do that. She was truly experiencing joy in a way that, to me, was unfathomable. And how did she do that? Well, it started with years and years and years of spending time with God so that she could experience God's joy. The joy that she was experiencing, she was not fabricating from within. But she was leaning into God and experiencing his blessing in the midst of mourning. And the mourning was real and the blessing was real. Jesus could not be contained and he was overflowing at that service that was the most celebratory memorial service I have ever been to. It was much more like a worship service than a memorial. C.S. Lewis once said, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. My encouragement for us tonight is for us to stop striving for happiness the way the world wants us to. Stop saying, well, I just, I just want to be happy. And replace it with, I just, I just want to know God and what God has for me and the grace that God wants to give me. Now, knowing God is a relationship. It's not a formula. So it's a lot harder. I'd way rather have a formula, quite frankly. But I want the fulfilling joy and not the fleeting happiness So that's why I encourage us to lean into God and that relationship. And all relationships are built by spending time with the person we're in relationship with. If you want something practical to help you out besides just spend time with God, um, one discipline that you might cultivate is personalizing the scripture as you read it. Hear God, hear Jesus saying it to you. And so I'm going to leave us with the words from the Beatitudes one more time. And actually, I have a picture of the Mount of Beatitudes where they believe Jesus gave the sermon from. It's in Israel. And um, that is not the picture I took, but I had the privilege of going there about five years ago. But put yourself on this mountain, listening to Jesus. And remember that the people listening aren't people who have life figured out. So you don't have to either. So as you're listening, remember the ways that you're let down by life, the ways that Um, maybe you feel like uh, you're unfulfilled in your life. And hear what Jesus has to say about who can experience God's blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have called us blessed, and you have offered us your joy, even in the midst of hard times. Lord, we thank you that... um, that we can be in relationship with you. And we pray for the strength to uh, eliminate the idea of a formula for strength, to eliminate the idea that happiness is what life is all about. And, Lord, help us to replace it with knowing you, that we might lean into you and overflow with your joy, even in tough times. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in your name. Amen.